Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Angie Cometh, who is Dean of the School of Professional Studies at New York University. Angie and podcast host Amr Alawalia discuss how modern learner consumerism is affecting higher ed strategy and how to adapt in a competitive market. Angie, welcome to the Illumination Podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, I'm Rich. And we are, we're live at, at UPSIA, Washington, D.C. Uh, this is your first UPSIA conference. You're also on the organizing committee. How have you found it so far? It's really great. I mean, the fact that we could pull together 80 sessions um, incredible. is really incredible. In like With a thousand two days. people. <laughs> like it's, it's nuts. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. We actually have a team from NYU of about, I think there's five of us all together. And, yeah. and hopefully we'll be able to kind of go to all the sessions that we want to and meet all the kind of vendors yeah. that we want to. But it's a really cool opportunity to, um, I mean, there's literally like probably five or six vendors that I think we need. And so this is a little yeah. bit of like a, feels a little bit like speed dating where you get to kind of meet <laughs> folks, you get to sort of beat the reps, you get to yeah. kind of shop around and compare folks, mm-hmm. um, which is great, which is also yeah. just a lot better, I think almost more objective than kind of getting yeah. the, the calls and kind of um, doing the meetings formal, one-on-ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. No, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the time out here. And, and I think I, I'm just curious about your take because your your background in the, in the post-secondary space is, is diverse even compared to other continuing educators. What are some of the trends that, that you're watching? What are some of the things that you think are, are shaping the direction of our, our industry's going? Sure. So, um, you know, I just had some really interesting conversations with other deans. And I think that's a, an important part of UPSIA where yeah. you just get to connect with your peers. And so, you know, I think that the, the trends in our area is that we have been, we meaning kind of schools of professional studies, extension schools have mm-hmm. been the revenue generators, the cash cows, the place yeah. to go for the transactions. And truly that is over. Like, <laughs> that is not a reliable strategy. It's not um, It's not very student-centered. It's not yeah. very equity-driven. Um, it's not actually not even what industry is really demanding. And so the trends that I'm seeing very much are, um, like the rest of higher ed, student behavior, like, Students will walk. They will yeah. leave. They will find an alternative unless you're really providing a great quality um, experience. And so those days of transactions of just being the cash cow, offer something and you'll hit the number at scale and you'll price it low enough and kind of get it on volume, what you don't make on um, kind of margin. Yeah. I really think that those days are done. I think that people are smart and I think that they want to be able to you know, be taken care of. They want to have networks. They want to have a quality experience. They want to um, meet their professor. They yeah. want to you know, build a community, and if a program doesn't offer that, they're not going to stay. No. And I actually am really pleased about yeah, that. I like people are, yeah. are they have um, choice, right? They have yeah. agency. They have choice. They're walking, and um, they're no, not walking with their feet. They're voting with, voting their, with feet. their feet. Well, I guess they're doing. Both. They're doing both. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I think that that's wonderful. I think yeah. that student voice and participant voice always has to be at the center of education. And I yeah. actually feel like that's coming to our sector in a way that strangely um, has been a little bit delayed. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? Because there's it's almost two parts of the same conversation. It's it's an almost a, it's a question of motivation. The, the idea of continuing education as a revenue generator and being superseded by the idea of a student as a consumer. Because when we think about continuing mm-hmm. it as a revenue generator, it's the operational outcome of being good right. at serving the student as a consumer. If you take care of the first part, the second part's right. going to happen. A dual customer model, like in theory, yeah. you can serve both. But I, I think a dual customer model is really hard. And yeah. I think almost always one um, side of the you know one side of the equation gets more primacy. And I think that 
in workforce development in our area, um, we really respect and revere industry needs, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. really important. And I, I do think that we, um, whether it's kind of we just got a little bit overweight in that area or we just kind of swung and we need to yeah. get ourselves into better equilibrium. Yeah. So as a very student-centered um, you know, professional, I am thrilled that we are having these conversations now. So I'm curious, like as you think about, and by the way, longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I, te- I tend to send questions over to prepare uh, you know, be- beforehand and then tend to go off the rails almost immediately. Okay. And this is, <laughs> this is going to be an example of that. But, you know, as you think about your, your own work and your own experience with that shift, that, that foundational shift from being revenue-oriented to being student-oriented, how does that actually play out in practice? Like, what are some of the things that you're seeing and doing that execute on this shift in vision from being you know, about revenue and about industry needs to being about students and and being, you know, responsive to that consumer. So, you know, being a dean, you have to balance both. And it's really about kind of what you're leading with and what you're really making sure um, kind of, you know, the the, the field force that we have in terms of faculty, in terms of student, uh, you know, administrators and staff are focusing in on knowing that I've got my core team and we're we're worrying and we're staying up every night worrying about the revenue. Um, But the the way that we balance that is really it's around student retention. And so that's kind of where rubber hits the road. And thankfully, there's so much much evidence-based practice. There's so much technology. Technology um, that can really help in terms of student retention, just building the community, mm-hmm. making sure we're answering questions, having that great customer service experience. Yeah. That's another trend that's coming to our area. Customer service yes. matters. That yes. user experience matters, um, and it should. A hundred percent. And for whatever reason, yeah. I think that we've you know accepted um, maybe kind of 1980s, 1990s level technology in yeah. terms of user experience, and now people are demanding something different. Yeah. Um, so I do think that kind of user experience feels really important to kind of really um, have faculty and have staff really focus in on um, and the, the the outcome that we measure is is retention or repeat customers mm-hmm. or um, making sure that folks are really kind of taking advantage and completing courses yep. I'd say you know another way that this kind of you know shows up is on this innovation front and let's see it tomorrow we're doing a session on how to do portfolio reviews and how to cool. know when to eliminate and sunset programs yeah. um, without judgment without feeling something failed and yep. you can sunset a program that's doing okay Mm -hmm. to make space for something that we think is really trending um, and kind of making sure that we've just got that innovation infrastructure to really systematically and very objectively review programs and putting them into categories of this is great, it could be sustained, this needs attention, maybe it needs to go away with more thought. Um, And this is something that is poised to grow and needs some more investment. So that whole portfolio mentality Mm -hmm. of reviewing programs is I think another trend that we're seeing because I I just think that many of us have operated off of either a a virtual catalog or a physical catalog for a long time with that kind of very large menu of lots of choice and you tend to get volume you know signing up for everything and that just isn't how people are making decisions these days not at all well it's it's interesting too because that's it all kind of comes back to this core idea of you know what's the business of our division and, yeah, absolutely. and how, how do you operate as an empathetic business? Right. And that's it's that's a cool line to draw. Like, that's an interesting space to be in. Of, of, it's a little controversial. Yeah. I mean, some faculty that have been doing the same thing for mm. a long time, they'll sort of say, well, I've, I've been running this for 10 years, and it, it was really popular. And if it's not popular now, it's clearly marketing's fault. <laughs> <laughs> if I had yeah. a dime for every time I heard that, I'd be a rich woman. Yeah. But um, it's just, you know, again, being empathetic to sort of say, yeah. 
you know, there are things that peak and then they mature and they just plateau. And that's mm-hmm. not at all a reflection on a fabulous faculty member no. or a reflection yeah. on a really important industry or sector or program. Um, it's it's not. But kind of being able to kind of manage that is something that's important to students at the end of the day to be able to offer fresh new programs. Yeah. Um, one of the new programs that I'm, that, you know, I'm not the only one thinking about this, but employers have to start figuring out how to use Jet Chat GPT. I mean, yes. a lot of um, AI and machine learning are are absolutely um, going to do basic level research and basic level tests, and that's exciting. Yeah, that actually creates a lot of space for people to do more interesting work and yeah. more um, collaborative and team oriented well, work. Now you're getting to the human specific stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. we should be offering classes on that. And yeah. so right now we're we're trying to figure out what would that look like and mm-hmm. um, what's the continuing ed course and is that to middle managers? Is that to entry level staff? It's probably to both. Yeah. Um, and again, it's interesting because at the higher ed level, we're a little nervous about it. Yeah. And you know, it's is it cheating or or is it a tool? That's an interesting and slightly complicated question for universities to answer. But from the workforce perspective, employers should love this. Yeah. I mean, it literally is, yeah. is entry-level research automated within of. seconds. Yeah. Well, and that's so. Let's let's keep on that trend of I guess the idea of sort of threats or concerns. I mean, what are some threats that as sort of higher ed leaders are planning for the next five or ten years should should really be aware of? Great question. So, you know, I think my mind goes to the, <laughs> the financing of it yeah. um, and just how to costs are going up. Inflation's going up a lot of, um, you know, across the country, we've seen a lot of union renegotiation or unionization of whether it's grad students or faculty or adjunct faculty or contract faculty. Um, and it, on, on, that's really important, right? Being, being able to pay fair wages, being able to be generous with um, instructional staff is important. That does create pressure yeah. on the bottom line. That does create pressure in terms of pricing for students. Um, and when there are so many organizations, again, whether it's ed tech firms that have been, quite frankly, pushing and nipping at the heels of higher ed and really, um, you know, asking kind of what's the value of higher ed? Do you really need it for a job? And there's a big movement, obviously, obviously with employers wondering about the value of of higher ed. I think that feels like the biggest threat. I don't lose a ton of sleep over that because I'm a firm believer that college and education is transformative. Yes. And while the skills that one learns, you know, could be boot camped, Mm -hmm. if that's a verb, um, the experience of, um, you know, working in those team projects, gaining those leadership skills, gaining the teamwork skills. There's durable skills there too. Gaining those durable skills. There's just no substitution for kind of time and seat to do that. Interesting. Um, But I do think that there are some pressures um, and it's going to be interesting. And again, I think that we learn a lot from ed tech firms. Mm. We partner with a lot of ed tech firms. I'm not scared of them, but um, it is interesting just looking at kind of um, what employers are looking for, what students are looking for, what price points are, what uh, promises are being made to students, and what's real and what's yeah. kind of a really good marketing spin. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's, it's interesting you frame that out because it's one of the nice things about where the boot camps have come into the space, to my mind, is really in creating more, more student choices. That how do we become responsiveness to the student as a consumer? And I think the challenge there is that we also haven't really done much to educate our, our consumer. So yeah. as, from, as a post-secondary industry, our assumption has been, well, you basically have 
one choice in a series of providers within that choice. Right. And now it's more you have 10 choices and multiple series of providers within those frames of choice. Right. And so as, as a post-secondary industry, I think we have more to do in framing out our value proposition a little bit so so prospective learners really understand like what's the investment for, what's the mix of durable skills and technical skills right. and how does that contribute to their success and all those things. I feel like we could take it more seriously. Right. But we've never had an impetus to do so. And so I get I get bigger I've I think I've always been bullish and I get continue to get very excited about reskilling. Yes. So looking at existing workers and helping them just continually get to the next yeah. level with small dose trainings that can help them on their job may or may not lead to a better job may or may not lead to a salary increase but it's going to make them more effective it's going to keep them kind of being a curious inquisitive lifelong learner Mm. that's a great place for higher ed in my opinion Um, you know some of the entry-level skills to kind of take someone who is out of industry and give them the tech skills to get into a job and get hired that may or may not be a great place for higher ed. Um, Because I do think if you're gonna make a promise to a student to get them a job, that then turns higher ed into kind of job placement and workforce um, development organizations. Mm -hmm. And having worked in workforce development organizations and having worked in higher ed, um, you need a really, really great employer relations team. And that's not a career services office. That's not throwing up jobs on Handshake. That's like a (laughs) really strong, and I love Handshake and we love Handshake, but that's a very different value proposition of working with employers. And so I wonder about that. I do think that apprenticeships are really interesting and I think that you know but what we hear from employers is they want people they don't want to shoulder much of the cost right (laughs) and so you know trying to figure out and navigate that is important I don't actually think that that's a great place necessarily for the private sector for kind of boot camps Uh but I do think that there's a responsibility for education to to think about co-ops I I think Co-ops are not threatening to higher ed. I think, you know, higher ed loves them. There's a big, long, many decades long tradition of that. Um, And I think we could be doing more of that. Yep. Yeah. So that gets me excited. So I think that there's places for us to play. Um, there's some overlap. There's, you know, I, I appreciate the pushing. I, I, I yeah, sort yeah. of appreciate the hustle that a lot of ed tech firms give to higher ed yeah. to sort of say, don't They're rest on your... They're forcing a different culture. Yeah, is, yeah, don't rest on your laurels. Don't be complacent. That's yeah. actually really helpful. That's great. So, and you know, it's, it's behold the seamless transition back to the questions. Uh, because, you know, this starts to frame out a very different purpose for the role of professional continuing online ed you know Mm -hmm. this is historically these units have lived on the periphery of the institution they've innovated in the shadows they've whatever you know cliche you'd like to use but the fact of the matter is that they haven't really been part of the the core institution but as we see students behaving as consumers as we see those consumer expectations evolving as all these things start to change around us the role of those PCO units is becoming more and more and more important. So how do you see the role continuing to evolve? And, and what, what does it take for leaders to make sure that, that that transformation happens with PCO at the center instead of off to the side? Sure. So I'll take you a little bit down a, a rabbit hole here. Hopefully not too much. I'm right. <laughs> so... Our school's been around for 90 years. Next year will be our 90th anniversary. And so I went to the NYU archives recently just to learn a little bit more about those early years because, mm. again, in 1934, we were doing television production, which actually in 1934 was yeah. cutting edge. Like, we didn't have televisions in people's living rooms, but we knew sort of at our school that television production was going to be revolutionary. And mm. so we taught that cutting edge technology. I found that fascinating. That's, and so, yeah. you know, in the kind of going through the archives, um, you know, in the, in the 40s and the 50s, 
1950s, the then dean of the School of Professional Studies at NYU wrote off these missives to the chancellor saying, to academic credit purists, we need to defend the value of teaching an adult learner. And that for those, and, and it's like literally this quote, for those who think something deplorable is going to happen to institutions who teach students after 6 p.m., who happen to be employed, who might have a degree, yeah, yeah. but want another skill, we need to let people know that something, the earth is not going to, yeah. the, the floor is not going to kind of fall out from under us. Mm-hmm. And that was in the 1950s from the then dean. And so to answer your question, what has to happen, there has to be really strong leadership to say we are responsive from an equity perspective to many different types of people. So that kind of access to opportunity, access to economic mobility, access to career advancement is a right. And we're very much at the center of offering that. Mm -hmm. And then we have to have leadership that sort of says, and we're unafraid and unabashed and unapologetic about making money (laughs) and doing things for a margin. Um, do we have to make money hand over fist? Do we have to break even? Do we have to have kind of particular margins? I think that's for different kind of universities sure. in different contexts. Figure out but the line when, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the third piece is, so if we do it around equity, if we're always kind of making sure that we're understanding why we're upskilling people and mm-hmm. kind of what that means and how affordable that should be. And then the last piece that is, um, I believe, you know, really important is making sure that we are really helping people advance in their careers. Yeah. And that we're really helping folks understand that the future of higher ed (laughs) is one that's responsive to people where they are now. So it's the kind of truism in social work, meet people where they are. Mm. I think higher ed has to, and I think that that, um, professional schools are extremely well poised to meet people where they're at. Traditional higher ed is meeting an 18-year-old where they're at, right? Graduate schools are meeting mid-professionals where they're at. I think schools of professional studies, we can meet the needs of high schoolers, we can meet the needs of undergrads, masters, mid-professional, executive ed. One of the newest areas that we're being responsive to at our school is around the whole next chapter. So looking at folks who are at or near retirement age, who don't want to or cannot retire. Mm -hmm. And we know from all the science that it's really important to stay engaged. It's really important to stay mentally active. It's really important to have community. It's really important to be part of a network. And so we're looking at kind of what we need and should do for that demographic. And I'm really excited about that. And that to me is a really good example of the role of schools of professional studies. Um, that you're constantly kind of meeting people where they're at with a set of skills, tools, offerings that are interesting and responsive, um, that often can lead to a job in, in co-design mode with industry, but also that are just meeting equity goals, that are yeah. meeting upskilling goals, that are meeting, you know, unretirement goals <laughs> for people. Yep. And I think that it likely means a different value proposition for universities that used to look at this as the transactional cash cow. Right. Just don't think that that is what the market will bear. I don't think that's what people will pay. And I actually don't think that's the right role. Interesting. That's interesting. So as you think about higher education in 10, 15, 20 years, what are some of the traits or characteristics that you think are really going to start to define our industry? That is a great question. So traits that are going to define our industry. So, gosh, I think the idea of of having a balanced portfolio mm. um, of some work that is directly aligned to industry, some work that's directly aligned to kind of new entrants to the workforce. Um, we have ridiculous inequality gaps in America, mm-hmm. and it's just untenable. And... Um, There was an interesting article this past weekend in the New York Times on poverty is totally solvable in the United States of America. And that's about jobs. 
yeah. at the end of the day. And so I do think that this portfolio will have co-created industry programs, um, entry-level programs that can really start to hack away at economic mobility and, and access. I think we'll have programs that are very much around upskilling because I do think that machine learning and AI are going to be changing industries at a much more rapid pace. Yep. So the upskilling and reskilling is important. I don't... Maybe that used to happen more. I feel like we've lost our way in our field around that. I just don't it's think that we do it It doesn't as seem much. like a priority. Yeah. So 15 years, I think mm. that we'll really have that as part of our portfolio. And I would say, I should probably stop at the rule of three, but I'll say kind <laughs> of just to throw in a, a bonus piece, I, I do think that kind of being in service to universities and our universe, the universities in which we operate mm-hmm. is a really important piece of, of what we do. So what do I mean by that? I think great programs can offer a degree and, you know, for the cost of higher ed, we should be offering some certifications to graduates yeah. too. <laughs> we yep. shouldn't let grads, you know, graduate from any discipline. It could be STEM, it could be liberal arts, and then struggle in the labor market because they didn't have, you name it, STEM yep. skills, tech skills, project management skills, sales skills, writing skills, podcasting skills. Yep. Um, those are kind of service offerings, credentialing, that mm-hmm. I actually think that we should be offering to graduates. And so I think that there's a service function that could be um, much more strongly offered and kind yeah. of um, delivered for students. And, and quite frankly, I, I hope that students and parents and families and communities demand it yeah. because for the cost of the education that they're um, paying for, they should have the durable skills, they should have the analytical skills, they should have those um, kind of human interaction skills, and they should have some like technical skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that shouldn't be an add-on. It should be part of the package. Yeah, I, I, yeah absolutely. Well, Angie, I mean, that pretty much does it from from here. So I guess before I let you go, I'm I'm curious and bearing in mind the size of the city, if someone's going to dinner in New York, where do they need to go? That is a great question. So, and you know, you gave this one to me before, and it's still (laughs) really hard as a food-loving New Yorker to come up with one answer. But I'm going to go with um, my go-to that's down the street from our work, Ribalta Pizza. It's um, on uh, East 12th Street. Um, fantastic uh, cold-fired pizza, um, largely served by an almost all-immigrant Italian um, staff, and it is just wonderful. It's spacious. It's good. It's affordable, and it's like the best of New York. So Ribalta Pizza on the, East 12th. There you go. Angie, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, I'm ready. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and The Evolution. The Modern Campus Engagement Platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.